0: Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to subscribe to our Journey Callaway YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you right there. Do you ever get frustrated with people when they refuse to do what is clearly right because they want to do what they believe is right in their own eyes? I mean, it's obvious to you what's right, but... They just don't seem to see it. What's worse is they're often certain they're right and you're wrong. I mean, how could that be? Makes you wonder what's wrong with people sometimes, doesn't it? Well, let's talk about it on this week's episode of Journey at Home. Thanks for watching. Today, I want to share with you one of the most disturbing, outrageous stories that's found in the Jewish scriptures that we call the Old Testament. It's a story about one of the lowest moments in the history of the Jewish people. The story is found in the historical account that we call Judges. And to give you a little context, Judges tells a story of the Jewish people's history in the Promised Land, which is now modern day Israel. And it tells their history between the time Joshua dies and when Saul is made king. Joshua is the leader who succeeded Moses and he helped the Jews conquer the promised land. And you may know Saul is the very first king Israel ever had. But between these two men spans a history of 330 years where Israel had judges and those judges served as leaders for the 12 tribes who occupied the land. Those 12 tribes functioned a lot like our original 13 colonies here in America. They had no central government at the time, but they had common language, common ancestry, and common religion... So they cooperated together for a common goal. And the role of the judges during these times was to enforce the laws. And at times, they even led the people into battle against invading enemies. So when you read judges, you realize pretty quickly, these judges had their hands full because during this 330 year period, these 12 tribes did not behave very well. They didn't like being told what to do. So they would disobey God's laws regarding how to live, how to treat one another, it would result in disaster, The consequences would catch up to them because, well, that's what consequences always do, don't they? And then they would cry out for help. They would promise to change. God would send a deliverer who would straighten out their mess, and then after a little while, guess what? They'd get tired of being told what to do and doing the right thing, and so they'd go through the cycle all over again. Sound familiar at all? I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? So the Jewish people did this for 330 years, and it led to this tragic, disturbing, outrageous story recorded at the end of this historical document. Now, I am not going to share all the story with you because, quite honestly, it's too graphic, but I want to share a little part of it with you because this story illustrates what happens when any person, when any group of people, when any nation says, you know what? I'm tired of being told what to do. I'm going to do what I think is right. You do what you think is right, just don't tell me what's right for me. I'll do what's right in my own eyes. So, here's how the story goes. There was a man who lived in Ephraim, who was from the tribe of Levi. And this man got himself a concubine from the city of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. Now, a concubine was basically a sex slave who was considered property of the man who had her. This was not allowed in Jewish law, but this man didn't care clearly. I mean, it seems like the right thing to him, so he just did it. And he brings her back to Ephraim, and they live together for a while. And then she is unfaithful to him. And she runs back home to her family in Benjamin. About four months pass. And either his anger passes or maybe he gets lonely, we don't know. But this man finally decides to go get his concubine back. So he travels with a servant all the way back to Bethlehem. He shows up at this woman's home, and he tells her father, I want your daughter, I want my concubine back. And the story gets really weird here because the father doesn't want to give her back, but he refuses to protect her. Instead, he keeps getting this Levite, this man from Ephraim, drunk every night because he's thinking, well, wake up the next morning, he won't feel good enough to leave. And sure enough, this goes on for five days, but finally on the fifth day, it's late in the afternoon, the Levite's are like, I'm not staying one more night, we are out of here. And so he loads up his two donkeys, his male servant who was with him, his concubine, and off they go. Well, about nightfall, they made it to a town called Gibeah. Gibeah is part of the tribe of Benjamin. It's this tiny little village. And the way hospitality worked back then is you go to the town square, you'd wait for somebody to invite you to stay in their home for the night. It was like the original Airbnb. But this night, they go to the town square, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and everybody ignores them. Nobody invites them into their home. Clearly, Gibeah is a town that doesn't want guests around. So finally, after dark, an older man comes back into town and he sees these people at the town square. And it just so happens this older man is originally from Ephraim too, where the Levite lives. So he invites the man, his male servant, and his concubine to spend the night at his home. Then, as this group is enjoying dinner, This is where the story takes a tragic and strange turn. Here's what the writer of Judges records happened next. He writes While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house, pounding on the door. They shouted to the old man who owned the house Bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. Now, for many civilizations in ancient times, and this is certainly one of those cases, this was about humiliation more than gratification. They didn't want strangers visiting their town and staying in their homes, and this would let them humiliate this man and then send him out where he would spread the word to everybody else, never visit Gibeah. So the writer of Judges tells us the owner of the house went outside and he said to them, no, my friends, don't be so vile. I mean, this man's my guest, so don't do this outrageous thing. And then the story gets even stranger because the man looks back at these people and he says, look, Here's my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. I'll bring them both out to you now, and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, just don't do such an outrageous thing. But the writer of Judges tells us the men wouldn't listen to him. So the man, the Levite man, took his concubine that he had gone to get, and he sent her outside to them. And, well, I'm not going to read you what they do out of respect for those of you who've been through some traumatic assaults, but you can imagine what happens next. It is horrible. And the next morning, when this Levite man walks out the front door to leave, he finds his concubine lying dead in the doorway. So, he loads her upon his donkey, takes her back to Ephraim, and contemplates what to do next. Finally, he decides to write a letter to the leaders of all 12 tribes telling them what these Benjamites in Gibeah did But as he's writing this letter, he realizes, i got to send some proof or nobody's going to believe me. So he does something else strange. He chops his concubine up into 12 pieces, and he sends a piece with each letter to each of the tribes as proof. It's just weird, isn't it? Well, when these leaders get the letter, they respond as you would expect. They're furious. All the leaders have the same response. The writer of Judges tells us that they say, such a thing has never been seen or done. Not since the day the Israelites came out of Egypt. In other words, they were going, oh my gosh, we have hit rock bottom as a people. And then they say, just imagine, we must do something, so speak up. So the 11 tribes that aren't, you know, Benjamin's separate, but the other 11 tribes get together and they decide two things. One, we will never let our daughters marry a Benjamite. They're the ones responsible for this. And two, We'll all send soldiers and we'll form an army and we'll march to the land of Benjamin and we'll say, you turn over the men who did this or you're all going to pay. So guess what happens? The Benjamites, when they get this information, say, well, you can't tell us what to do. You know, we're not going to listen to you. We've got our rights too. And you can imagine how this plays out. A war breaks out. Over 65,000 men die in three days. But finally, the Benjamites are defeated and every Benjamite town is burned to the ground, including Gibeah. Every man, woman, child, and animal is killed. It is gruesome, and it is tragic. But about 600 Benjamite men escape, and they go hide in the desert. Now, that's not the end of the story, because once everyone calms down a little bit, what dawns on these 11 tribes that they have wiped out an entire tribe of their people, and so now they're heartbroken. As they're talking about it, Somebody raises their hand and says, well, actually, they're not all wiped out. There's 600 of them hiding in the desert. Then somebody else raises their hand and says, yeah, but they're all men, and we swore we wouldn't let our daughters marry them, so there's no way to continue the Jewish Benjamin bloodline. We're still stuck. Then another guy speaks up, and he goes, well, actually, nobody fought with us from Jabesh Gilead. Those people, they didn't make that promise. So guess what they do? They marched their army to jabesh Gilead. They killed everyone in that town except the virgin women. They dragged these women back and they give them to the 600 Benjamites to take his wives. Only problem was, weren't enough women for everybody to get a wife. And so then they come up with a plan to remedy that. They encouraged the remaining single Benjamite men, about 200 of them, to sneak up on this town called Shiloh during their annual festival just to hide in the woods, and they tell them, hey, when the virgin daughters come out to dance in the fields, you rush in, you kidnap those women, you make them wives for yourselves. And that's what happened. And you could imagine the fathers of these daughters are furious, but then they look at the fathers and they say, no, 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 you're doing a good thing. You're helping save the tribe of Benjamin. Just let it go. So eventually, these 600 Benjamites, they march back to their scorched, destroyed towns with you know, these kidnapped women over their shoulders. And they begin to rebuild their land. And that is the end of the story. It is horrible, isn't it? It's sickening. It's barbaric. I Man, I guarantee you, your parents never read you this Bible story at night, did they? You never said, Dad, I want to hear the story about the concubine and the chainsaw. And he was like, no, son. We saved that one for Halloween. I mean, that, nobody shares this with their kids. It's awful. How could so many men do so many terrible things. Well, the writer of Judges actually gives us a clue in the very last line that he writes in his document. He says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. There was no authority that everyone acknowledged and respected. And then he writes, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, they had lost their collective moral compass. They had no consensus about what was right or wrong. They had no final authority. Everybody was choosing to follow their own truth and make up their own rules. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And the problem was that by defining right in their own eyes, by defining right individually, they created chaos and heartbreak and suffering collectively. So for the next few weeks, I want to help us process where this same attitude may be creating some chaos for you and me. Because the truth is, there's a little bit of that in us too, isn't there? There's something in me that wants to go, whoa, whoa wait a minute. It's my life. I'm going to do what's right for me. You can do what's right for you, but don't get in my business. You know, don't tell me what to do. I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. But doing what's right in your eye individually will eventually lead to chaos collectively. It always does. So let me get you to think about this. If you were God, and you knew every person doing what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, would ultimately create pain and chaos for you and all the people around you? Well, if you were God, what would you say? What would you do? How would you respond if you watched someone you loved get trapped in the lie that they can do whatever seems right in their own eye? Let's be honest. None of us want to be told what to do. None of us want a king. But by not choosing a king, we end up having a king that's not to our liking. We end up losing the very freedom we fought to have. So over the next few weeks, I want to unpack for you why that's true and what it means and how it intersects with each of our lives. This week, I want to invite you to pay attention to where your need for autonomy, for doing what you want to do when you want to do it, where that need might be driving you. Because maybe what's right in your eye is leading you to do things you'll later wish you hadn't chosen to do. It's leading you to be ruled by a king that ultimately will not be to your liking. And we'll pick it up right there in episode two of Right In Your Eye. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey Calway app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend more information on our church be sure to visit journeycalway.com that's journeycalway.com thanks for listening